thanks for those songs, Mike. They were, uh, they were great. It's been so long since I sang Day by Day, and there's such wonderful words in that one. Before we get started, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you to hear your word. May we bow before you and obey you. We know that your glory fills the earth, and may you fill our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever felt zeal? When I think of zeal, I, I think of things that I get obsessed with, and then my mind starts taking over, and it's all that I think about. Um, recently, I've been... I've had a change in my job, and I, so I'm working on some shooting. And Jennifer catches me kind of doing mental repetitions. And I'm obsessed with it, you know, so I have this zeal to perfect what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to learn. Or, you know, maybe that's not just a bad thing, but sometimes zeal gets me when, uh, when, when somebody challenges me, when I have a way of doing things, when I have an opinion and somebody else has a different opinion, well, you're not going to challenge me, and my zeal comes to the surface. That's kind of what I think of when I think of zeal. The Jews actually had a legal, a legal doctrine, and they called it zealot's right. They based it on Numbers chapter 25. It's a story where Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, uh, acted in a zealous way for God. The, the story was that the Israelite men were going into these foreign nations through which they were traveling and they were, they were taking women from those countries and they were having adulterous affairs and fornicating affairs with these women. And God put a plague on all the people and they were dying. And so they began to seek God's face and they gathered together in a big meeting and Moses was there and the elders were there and all the people were there and they were seeking God to end this plague and, and a man walks through the crowd with one of these women, with all the audacity in the world, with no shame, no fear, and he heads right into his tent. And everybody knows what's going on there, and Phineas picks up his spear and he follows them in, and he thrusts his spear through both of them, killing them both in the very act. And then the Lord said to Moses in verse 10, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I give to him, that is to Phineas." my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So they formed this right, zealots right, where if you were acting on behalf of God, you could go so far as to kill someone. Well, I'm going to look at John chapter 2 this evening with you. John chapter 2 Verses 13 through 22, I invite you to open your Bibles to that, John chapter 2. It's the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. John chapter 2, verses 13, to 13 through 22, and I'll read that. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. 
Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So the question I want to put to you is, what is a true follower of Jesus Christ? I think we could agree that it is someone who studies the life of Jesus Christ and then patterns themselves after it. So if we're true followers, we're studying the life of Jesus Christ, we pattern ourselves after, us, after that, does that then lead us into any passion, fervor, zeal, or violence of action? You know, it doesn't take any, any scratching to find physical violence. It's right on the ground surface of the world's religions. You'll even find it in the perceived peaceful Buddhist regions of the world. When, they're, when their hold on power is threatened, it gets violent. For some religions, violence is just an outgrowth of, of patterning oneself after the, the founders of the faith, of the prophets of the faith. I was reading an article recently. It was former president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, asked in the article what effect he believed the violent actions of Islamic fundamentalists would have. He said Car Carter expressed hopes that this growing awareness of I Islam will get people to see the positives of it. He went on to say, I think this is going to give a lot of people incentive to look into Islamicism, what it is about this religion that makes it great, that makes it appeal to really billions of people, and to understand that Islamic leaders condemn this kind of terrorism just like the rest of the world. Well, putting aside that just because something appeals to billions of people doesn't make it great, I think that Jimmy Carter is ignorant of the life of Muhammad, who was a violent warrior. And he conquered by force, and if you did not submit to him, then he was going to kill you. And so to pattern oneself after him and the way he lived and what he wrote and what people wrote for him is to be consumed and fervent and zealous for Islam. It's to act in the same way as he does. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, that some people try to take the, the kingdom of God by violence. He said the same thing in Luke chapter 16, speaking to the Pharisees. And he tells them, he's basically telling them, you're trying to take the kingdom of God by violence. What you're trying to do is justify yourselves. You're trying to find your own way in. You're trying to do what you want to do and then make God serve you and have it your way. It doesn't work that way. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom in which we serve God, and it is our victory is found through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is the victory. Moral excellence is not the victory. A cause, no matter how noble the cause is, is not the victory. Curing cancer, not the victory. It's not victory over eternal death. Whatever striving a person would undertake will not attain victory. 
Christ is our righteousness, and our faith in him is our victory. There's a man named Rajendra Pershawri. He was a leading scientist, maybe even the head scientist, on the United Nations Climate Change Panel. He had to resign in some disgrace over fraud with uh, the research and with the figures that they were putting forth. And in his resignation letter, he said this, for me, the protection of planet Earth, and he capitalizes planet Earth. For me, the protection of planet Earth, the survival of all species and the sustainability of our ecosystems is more than a mission. It is my religion and my dharma. So he's a Hindu. What he's saying is, this is my guiding principle. Planet Earth is my God, and saving it is what's going to connect me to the great consciousness and take me beyond this life. Well, the message of the kingdom of God, the one I'm telling you about, is the message of an all-powerful king and creator of the universe who sent his only son into the world as a messenger, as a messenger to show his glory through being killed. Killed as a sacrifice to bring anyone who believes into the family of God. And in doing this, the Son of the King, Jesus Christ, provided an example to all who believe how God's kingdom will be advanced through obedience even to the point of being killed. So the violence and zeal of Christianity, the consuming zeal of true Christians, is one of service to the will of God. A life of service with the very real possibility of being consumed in your own death. And so we are called to take up our cross and lay down our lives. So the question then is, what is consuming you? I titled the lesson, What's Eating You? What's eating you? We're all being consumed. We're all being eaten by something. The question is, what is it? Some people... It's just victimhood, they're just victims. Everything is happening to them. They're surrendered to time, they're just surrendered to whatever's happening. They're in total despair. Others are, are eaten by acquiring treasure, by filling their barns, by entertainment or education. There's a lot of different things that can consume us, can causes, causes that, that replace God, like Rajendra Pashauri, a highly educated scientist who worships the earth. Education consumes some, some people. Being wise in this age and just the things of God are foolish. A, a God who created everything in six days, that's just foolish. He sent his son to die for sin. That's just silly. Others are consumed by the search for entertainment, selfless pleasure, lives given away to television and video games and sports and fantasy football, whatever. Sometimes the things that consume us are even good. Didn't Jesus over and over tell peop some people that were coming to follow him, you're going to have to leave your family. If you're not willing to leave your family to put me first, you're not ready for the kingdom. Sometimes things that we think of as good replace God. All of these things and more are lives devoted to idols. Replacement of God. Eaten up. Lives eaten up. Devoured, souls lost, and none of it has any view of eternity, any view of the glory of God, or any view of the victory of faith in Jesus Christ. But John said, zeal consumed Jesus. 
Not just zeal, but zeal for God's house consumed him. Zeal for the dwelling of God consumed Jesus. It was eating him up. God didn't create us to have our souls lost in eternal death, in the eternal, never-ending destruction of hell. Jesus said, don't fear him who can destroy the body only, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul. He said, we are slaves of whom we serve, either our fleshly desires or, or God. So Jesus was free from slavery to fear and to radically serve God, in this case, in this passage, in this text, in an almost violent way. So imagine the pandemonium of the sheep in auction as they're lumbering and and scurrying and running through the temple courts as Jesus is driving their sellers out. He's overturning trays of coins and his fervent zeal for the house of God. So what's eating you? Zeal for God's house consumed Jesus. He was eating him up. And that is not as though it was a blinding jealousy, as though somebody challenged him and he lost his cool in the moment. He was not temporarily consumed by a surge of unreasonableness, by a desire to be right or to be the man in charge. He was not controlled by frustration or anger. Jesus did not sin. He was always doing the will of his Father. All throughout the book of John, we see Jesus telling us, John records Jesus telling us that he came to glorify the Father and to do his will. His zeal was for God's house, for God's will, for God's mission and glory, not for his own personal and fleshly desire. He was consumed not in the moment, but in his entire life. His life was devoted to the zeal, and this mission would consume him in a bloody, vicious, torturous, brutal death on a cross. It was not a zeal that brought him praise or recognition of men, not a charisma that gathered a massive following of people, a massive armor, armor that would overthrow the oppressors. We understand this zeal in the light of Psalm 69, from which John quotes in this text. John knows what he's talking about when he quotes uh, Psalm 69. He understands what he's saying. Psalm 69 is, is used many times. Writers in the New Testament are inspired by the Holy Spirit to use it throughout the New Testament. Psalm 69, quoted in Romans chapter 11 by Paul. I would argue just a bit earlier in Roman, or John chapter 2 in the story of the wedding feast that John might be making a, an allusion to Psalm 69.8 where it says, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. John recounts the words of Jesus in John chapter 15 where Jesus said, they hated me without cause. That's from Psalm 69. More in number and the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. John chapter 19, verses 28 and 30. Jesus on the cross quotes from Psalm 69 or, or fulfills a prophecy. He says, I thirst. And he knows what's going to happen. He's going to fulfill a prophecy from Psalm 69 where they offered him sour wine to drink, just like that psalm said they would do. They offered sour wine to quench the thirst of a dying man who then breathed his last to conquer their sin in that very moment. Paul again quotes from Psalm 69 in Romans chapter 15, where he says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So back to John chapter 2, 
John remembers Psalm 69, 9, the first half of that verse, for zeal for your house has consumed me. The zeal that Jesus had that John speaks of is a zeal that would alienate him from his family. It was a zeal that would bear reproach and dishonor that was directed towards God, his father. It was a zeal that would bring hate without cause. It was a zeal that was a burden that consumed him in death but glorified the Father and brought salvation for all who will receive it. Jesus was zealous for God to be magnified, glorified, and made holy. So we're filling in the bulletin, fill in the blanks, that's, that's one of the take-home points. Jesus was zealous for God to be magnified, glorified, and made holy. In the light of this, we develop an understanding of zeal. It was for God's house, for God's mission, and for God's glory. So where do you place your zeal? Where are we placing our zeal? In chasing perversions of God's gifts and setting up idols? Or would God have us to kill like Phineas of the Old Testament? Do, do the fundamentalist Muslims, do they have it right to kill people who don't submit to the law of God? How do we properly exercise zeal? How do we act with jealousy for God? and for the house of God? To answer that question, we must understand what the house of God is, where it is that he dwells. John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He's saying, destroy this shrine, destroy this holy place, and in three days I will raise it up. And he was talking about the temple of his body. It's a point that everyone missed. The disciples would remember it later when they looked back after Jesus rose from the dead after three days, they would remember it. Jesus is saying that he is replacing the temple as the dwelling place of God. This physical shrine in Jerusalem that was a shadow of where God dwelt amongst men, it's coming down and it's being replaced by Jesus who says to the temple authorities, my body is the temple and God dwells in me. And I think... If they understood what he was saying, they would have killed him right there in their own unholy zeal. Jesus replaced the building of stone with a heart of flesh as the place where God dwells. And he proved it when he raised up his body from the dead after three days and then for 40 more days walked among men, teaching and eating and living on earth before ascending to the right hand of the Father. So what does all of this mean to us? What's it mean to you? As a Christian, understand what you are and where Christ dwells. Individually, you are the temple. Collectively, the church is a temple. Individually, you're a temple. Collectively, we're a temple. Romans chapter 8 says this in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Right within the same verse, within the same sentence, we see the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. It's the same. If you're a Christian, you have the spirit of Christ. You have God dwelling in you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says this, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. It just doesn't get any more plain than that. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says this, You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's us. Fellow citizens together, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And we are being built together, joined together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So with a proper understanding, you can act with zeal. Listen to what Paul says about zeal in Romans chapter 10. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So being zealous for God is being submitted to Christ. He's the only hope. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Being zealous for God is crucifying our passions and desires. It's being submitted to Christ. So this is what it means. It means start with yourself. Get some zeal. And if you have some zeal, be sure that it is for God and that it is submitted to Christ. And then understand that your own body, your mind, your soul is the place to start with your zeal. So you want to make a whip and drive out some impurity. You want to drive a spear through some sin like we see in these examples, well, I think the way to do it is to stop thinking about all the, way that, all the ways that somebody has done us wrong, all the ways that a brother or sister in Christ falls short of the glory of God, and I turn to ourselves and drive the sin out of our own temple. We could take a spear and run it through our tongues when we want to gossip or lash out in anger. We can run a spear through our fingers as we click the mouse towards pornography on the internet or run it over our smartphone screens. Run a spear through our eyes when they lustfully wander. Run a spear through any sin that's in your life. The list goes on and on and on. Whatever your sin is, run a spear through it. Fight your sin with zeal and zealously lay down your life to God in service to him. So to anyone who might be listening, I know this will be on the internet, anyone who's listening, if you've never believed and obeyed the gospel, then running a spear through your sin won't help you connect with God. 
As I said before, moral excellence is not the victory. All the warring you do against sin will be fruit from, for death. It will just get you death in the end if it's not found its victory in Jesus Christ. Apart from the victory of faith in Jesus Christ, all your fighting against sin is just death. So the question is, what must I do to make my heart, my body, a temple for Christ? And I would say, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to stand and sing now.